Welcome again to the podcast from Mount Hope's Belmont campus. If we don't know each other, my name is Brian, and I'm the pastor of Mount Hope in Belmont, Massachusetts. It's great to talk to you again. The sermon you're about to hear is from the beginning of Titus chapter 2. Titus is a letter written by a man named Paul to someone who he was mentoring named Titus about 2,000 years ago. The lessons that Paul teaches Titus about how he's to live and how the church is to function are vitally important for us today as we try to live as followers of Jesus Christ. This specific message you're about to hear talks about how generations are supposed to relate with one another. How do older people relate to younger people in the church and vice versa? I hope you enjoy it and I hope you'll listen closely because I believe that God has something he would like to say to you. When is the last time that you experienced a dissonance or a discrepancy between the generation you're a part of and another generation? For some of you, you're saying this happened like five minutes ago. I saw someone pull out their phone in this church and I thought to myself, these young people don't understand how important church is. When's the last time that you had a dissonance? between your generation, the generation you're a part of, and another generation, either older than you or younger than you. It happens all the time, doesn't it? I remember a couple of weeks ago, I don't even remember what we were doing, but a couple of weeks ago I was sitting with my brother-in-law, and we were in the living room, I believe, and my father-in-law walked in and he said, okay, we're ready to go. I printed out directions. And my brother and I looked at each other, and we thought, what year is this? That we're printing out, who would print out directions? And all this, there's that dissonance, right? That happens all the time to us. You have a generation interacting with another generation, either older or younger than them, and there's some sort of dissonance that's caused there. I think it's been a challenge uh, for society for a long time, but it's something that seems to be getting bigger and bigger in our society today. It seems to me that as you look back in history, it always seems like the older generation is looking at the younger generation and wondering when they're going to get their act together. And the younger generation is always looking to the older generation and saying something along the lines of, they just don't understand. That seems to always be happening, whether you call it the millennial problem today, or if it was the hippie problem of a generation ago, or the flapper problem of a couple generations ago, there always seems to be this dynamic, I think, especially in the Western world, where the older generation looks at the younger generation and says, when in the world are these people going to get their their act together and do something productive with their lives? And the younger generation is looking back at the older generation and saying to the older generation, you guys just don't understand us. When's the last time you've felt that? One of the things that always comes into play is age. And in some ways, what we're saying to each other is the older generation is looking at the younger generation is saying, why don't you act your age? I do this with my children, even though they're young. I'll say to my daughter, you're five now. Five-year-olds don't do this anymore. I'll say to my son, you're almost three this is what we've been saying to our son the last couple of weeks. You're almost three. Do you want to wear diapers forever? Ever? Let's go. Let's get this done. And so we say this to the younger generation. We say, listen, you're, you're this age now. You're 15. You're 21. It's about time that you do something with your life. And then the younger generation looks at the older generation. And, and if the older generation, you've seen this happen. If the older generation tries to act too young, 
The younger generation will look at the older generation and say, why don't you act your age and stay out of our things? And we're going back and forth telling each other to act your age. And one of the things I've been doing recently, I've been reading this book. Uh, it's by Ben Sass, who is a U.S. senator from the great, necessary, very important state of Nebraska. And uh, he is he is a new U.S. senator, and he wrote this book that's actually gotten a lot of publicity. And uh, my dad, my, my family's from Nebraska, if you don't know, and my dad, who is very proud someone from Nebraska could write, uh, sent me this book. And it's called The Vanishing American Adult. And the whole point of the book is Ben Sass, who was a college president before he was a U.S. senator, is looking at the problem that we face of calling a younger generation up. And he's dealing with this challenge that we feel in our culture today. If you're part of an older generation, you feel this probably. You experience this. And saying, when is this younger generation going to start acting their age? And why doesn't the younger generation seem like, appear like, they want to listen to the older generation? Here's what Ben Sass says in the book. And I think this quote is, is worth considering, especially as we think about the passage we're going to read this morning. We are living in an America of perpetual adolescence. Our kids simply don't know what an adult is or how to become one. Many don't see a reason even to try. Now, some of you are ready to amen that quote, and some of you are ready to stand up and storm out of here because you think he's wrong about the younger generation. But listen to what he says next. Perhaps even more problematic, more problematic than the fact that young people aren't coming, stepping up to be adults. The older generations have forgotten that we need to plan to teach them. It's our fault more than it is theirs. And here's what Ben Sass is saying, I think. He's saying something along the lines of, listen, it's easy for older generations to look at a younger generation and say, why don't you grow up and start acting your age? But Ben Sass would say to the older generation, are you acting your age? Because at your age, you should be teaching the younger generation. At your age, you should be investing in the younger generation. If you want them to act their age, you need to act your age and do your part in calling them up. Now, this is happening uh, on a, a, a national scale, on a cultural scale. This, I think, explains quite a bit of the way Western culture looks today. Uh, but what Paul says to Titus in this passage we're going to look at this morning is that much of these dynamics like we're talking about culturally and what Ben Sass talks about in his book, the need for younger generations and older generations to act their age and do things that are appropriate to their stage in life is not just important culturally, but it is important within the life of the church. In fact, if we had Paul here this morning, I think Paul would say to us, listen, even way more important than culturally, how to deal with your finances and how to become a productive employee and all those sorts of things, even more important than that, within the life of the church and in the discipleship of people and in passing on the faith, it is vital that older generations and younger generations learn to act their age and do the things that are appropriate for their stage in life. What Paul does in this passage is he's talking to Titus and he's talking to the different generations is he gives us first some principles that each generation is to live by. And then he gives us the purpose for why he's calling the generations to live that way. And so I want to 
start this morning and talk to you about those two things. What are the principles that Paul is calling the generations to? That's the first thing. And then secondly, why is he doing it? What's the purpose of calling people to live like that? So here's what he says in Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. We'll read together right now. But as for you, as he's talking to Titus, as for you, Titus, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior. He speaks to the older generation, and he speaks to a younger generation. And the four groups, very specifically, are older men and older women and younger women. And some of you heard those younger women verses, and you have some questions. We'll get to those. And younger men. And younger men. Those are the groups that he speaks to. And to each group, he gives principles. Now, we don't have time this morning to go into every adjective that Paul uses here. And so what we're going to do is try to draw out some basic principles for each group that he speaks to. There is one descriptive word that Paul uses that doesn't change throughout the different groups. In fact, every group is called to be this one certain thing. But first he speaks to the older men, and he says to the older men, be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Do you know what I think Paul might say to the older men in the church? Paul might say something along the lines of, listen, men, You want to be respected. You want people who are younger than you to look up to you and respect you. Uh, Make sure that you're living a life worthy of being respected. You don't get respect just because you're older than somebody else. You get respect because you're living a life that is sober-minded and filled with faith and love and steadfastness. If you want to get that sort of response from a younger generation, are you living that kind of life, Paul might say to us. Are you living a life worthy of being respected? If I think about, if I think back to growing up in the church, I grew up in church world. If I think about growing, growing up in the church, I grew up in a church that now today is, is very big. It's a few thousand people. But when I was young, it was just a couple hundred people. And I think back to why am I still here? Why am I, why did I stick around? And there's probably many reasons, but one of the reasons for sure is because when I was in that church that was a couple hundred people, and we met in an old shopping strip mall, we rented one of the, the, the bays out in a strip mall, and that's where our church met. There were people that I remember, I must seven, eight, nine years old, there were older men in our church that I remember clear as day who I used to look at and say to myself, I want to be like them someday. I remember Charlie Hansen. Charlie Hansen probably doesn't even, wouldn't even know that I would remember him. He was probably in his 60s back in those days, and, and he was the guy that opened the door and greeted everybody, but he did it awesome. He loved seeing everybody walk into the church, and it didn't matter if I was seven years old or if you were 70 years old. He knew your name, and he smiled, and he shook your hand, and he walked in, and it just made me feel like I wanted to be there, and I remember his face. I remember what it was like to have him open the door, and I would think to myself, 
man, that's somebody I think I'd like to be like. I remember Charlie Stafford, who was uh, who taught my fifth grade Awana class. Some of you may know what Awana is. It's a kids' Christian program. And Charlie was probably in his 70s, and we were a 10 fifth grade boys who were just throwing stuff off the walls and, and smashing each other into our chairs. I, I'm sure that guy d- thought he, he didn't know what he was doing or why he was there. But I'm telling you, him being there week after week after week after week made an impression on us. And the love he showed us, even though we didn't memorize our Bible verses and even though we weren't paying attention, the love he showed us and the consistency made an impact. And Paul's saying to, to older men in the church, listen, live that way. Be sound in your faith and love. Be steadfast. I think if we were to paraphrase what Paul is saying, Paul's saying, listen, don't just be someone that talks a lot. Don't be someone that talks a lot. Be somebody that actually does good things and pours your life into somebody else. Pour your life into the younger women. Teach them what it looks like to follow Christ. Teach them what it looks like to live a life that follows Jesus. Teach them what it looks like practically in their homes to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And so to the younger women, and here's where it gets fun, this is what Paul says. Young women, teach them to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. And my guess is, to those of you who are younger, uh, ladies, your favorite part of that, or even older, your favorite part of that passage is the working at home submissive part. That's probably the part that you're going to write, write down and keep up on the uh, mirror this week. Let me say this. I think we have to be very careful to take modern debates and go back 2,000 years and impose those modern debates on a biblical text. We need to take all of scripture into account, not just one verse, and we need to take all of what a man like Paul, who wrote over half the New Testament, has said about men and women, and take all of that into consideration when we consider what he's saying here. I do not believe, and we could talk about this later at a different time, I do not believe that Paul is saying that women cannot work outside the home for many reasons. And taking the whole Bible into account. Very simply, there's many examples in scripture. There's a number of examples of women in places of leadership and working. Some people, if you're familiar with the Christian world, we like to hold up Proverbs 31 as the picture of a a woman, uh, the perfect woman, godly woman. Well, in Proverbs 31, there's a couple verses we often skip. And that's where she's selling tapestries in the marketplace and, and gleaning out of the fields and taking care of the fields. So it's not that a woman cannot ever work outside the house. I don't believe that's what Paul's saying. I also don't believe that that submissive word uh, means that uh, the husband gets to be domineering over the wife no matter what. In fact, if we were to take Paul's words across all of his writings, Paul would say, yes, wives are to respect their husbands, but husbands, you better be worthy of that respect. You better be willing to give up your life for your wife, the way Christ gave up his life for the church. You better be willing to die for her. And if she's going to respect you, you better be willing to do that and love her like that. So I don't believe that Paul's calling us to that, that, saying that. What I do believe Paul's saying, and what we need to be careful of, 
is I do believe he's saying to women who have a family in their home or a home themselves to say, make sure that home is a place where God's love is revealed. Make sure that home is a place that is godly and that you are honoring God in the way that you handle that household. Make sure that you are the kind of person who is willing to prioritize your family and your children above anything else. So it doesn't mean you can't have the job outside of the home, but don't let that job become an idol that takes you away from primary responsibilities. I believe that's what Paul's saying. Now, there's a whole lot more there that we don't have time to get into this morning. But in a nutshell, that's what Paul's saying. Keep your priorities straight in what you're doing. To the younger men, I love Paul's instruction because I got to tell you, I, being a young man myself at one point, in some ways not having left yet, uh, this one instruction, he just gives one instruction to younger men. I think Paul was writing this. He gave a big list to the older men, a big list to the older women, a big list to the younger women. And he was like, I bet the young men can only focus on one thing. So what is the one thing that I could say to a young man to fix all of his problems? And he just says it, young men, be self-controlled. That's it. And isn't it true? Isn't it true that if young men could get that piece right, almost everything else would be solved if we could just learn to control ourselves. And Paul gives all these principles to the different groups. And what the picture he's painting is, The picture Paul is painting is of a community of people in which one generation pours into the other generation and the other generation is willing to receive it. And the thread that runs through it all, it applies to everybody in this passage, is that phrase, self-controlled. Older men be self-controlled. Younger men be self-controlled. Older women teach the younger women to be self-controlled. So Paul says, listen, live this self-controlled life in which the generations are pouring into one another and receiving it. But why should we do it, Paul? Why should we do it? Well, he says why in the next few verses. That's the principle, but what's the purpose? Here's the purpose. Verse 7. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that can... They're waiting for us to mess up. They're waiting to be able to say something negative about the people who would follow Jesus Christ with their lives. You want to give them nothing to say? Live this way. Words like self-control and submission and those sorts of words, our culture really doesn't like those words. Those words are antithetical to happiness and purpose and meaning in our culture. However, I would suggest to you that when our culture sees those things lived out well, they still respect it. They're not sure why. A lot of people aren't sure why. But when they see it lived out well, it's still respected. When a couple is married for 60 years and still loves each other, And they're celebrating that 60th anniversary. A world that doesn't seem to understand entering that sort of covenant for that long anymore still knows there's something good about it. 
You have a public figure like a Tim Tebow who stands for all sorts of things that this world is against, but yet most people in the world won't say a bad thing about him, even though they don't agree with what he believes in, because from their perspective, he's living out this life well. It's a self-controlled, submissive life, submissive to God, and no one has anything negative to say, even though his beliefs may be so different than what most of our world would believe. And Paul's saying, you want to get this right, you want to make sure that no one has anything bad to say about the life of the church and the community. The people that follow Jesus Christ, get this right. Live self-controlled lives in a way that one generation is pouring into another and the other is willing to receive it. Act your age. Come into the church and don't say, what can this church do for me? Come into the church and if you're older, say, I have a responsibility here as someone who has lived more life to share that with the people behind me. And the younger people who are walking in would say, listen, I have a responsibility in this church, not just to see if the music is something I like, but to let those people pour into me. Because here's the deal. That's the principle, and that's the purpose of it, but all of it falls apart if we don't have the right posture. It's the principle of what Paul's saying, and there's the purpose behind it, so that we're this light to our community, so that people would would uh, not have anything bad to say about us, but it all falls apart if we don't have the right posture. And I would suggest to you that most of us agree this would be great to have a community where older people were pouring into younger people and a community where younger people were willing to receive it. The problem is it all falls apart in this posture phase. When we start looking at the people younger than us and saying to ourselves, they don't want to listen. And the people who are younger look at the people who are older and say, they don't understand. When we have that sort of attitude and that sort of posture, this whole idea and this whole principle falls apart, doesn't it? And Paul would say to us especially, make sure in the life of the church so that the faith can be passed down, so that others don't have anything negative to say against us, be the kind of community where older generations are setting an example and pouring into the younger generation and the younger generation is willing to receive it. In other words, act your age. So if you're in the older generation, and I won't ask you to raise your hand, if you are in the older generation, you have a responsibility, and that is to pour into the younger generation. And I think many of us would say, well, listen, I have no problem trying to uh, help a younger person, mentor a younger person, but I got to be real honest with you, pastor, I don't know that much. Like, I look at other people, and they know way more about what it means to follow God and be steadfast and love and faith and do all these things, and I made a lot of mistakes along the way, and I'm not sure that I have, I know anything to give. Let me share with you something that I heard a pastor say that I thought was extremely helpful. If you find yourself in a position where you are older than other people, and you know from this passage that Paul would say you're in a position to share that knowledge with someone else. If you've lived a day longer following God than somebody else, you have something to share. And your responsibility, listen, your responsibility is not to fill up anyone else's cup. Do you understand? All of us have this reservoir that we need filled up so that the faith is passed on to us. Your responsibility is not to pick one person and say, okay, I'm going to fill up your cup. Here's everything to know about God and his word. Your job is to empty your cup into theirs. So... Someone comes to you and says, a younger person comes to you and says, listen, 
I don't feel like God's presence is with me. All these people in this church there feel like God's there and the the pastor tells people to come forward and pray and people have this experience and I don't feel any of that. And you as someone who's walked with God longer, you say, listen, I don't know how to explain it either. I don't know what's going on. I don't know all the verses to tell you, but I can tell you this. The times that I didn't feel God's voice strongly, in hindsight, I realized God was doing some of his best work in my heart and my life as I sought him out and I lifted him to him. And you don't give him all the answers, but you empty your cup into theirs. And they say to you, that's all you know? And you're like, that's it. That's all I know. That's all I know about that. Not hearing God's voice when you want to. That's all I know about it. But they'll go to somebody else in a healthy church. And they'll say, I don't hear God's voice the way I think I should. And that other person will pour into them a little bit more. But what we can't do is say, I don't have a full cup to give and fill up someone else's cup completely, so I'm not going to share anything. Just share what you have. And for those of us who are younger, for those who are in the younger generation, we need to think about something and be convicted of something, I think. Current Western culture, our culture, is one of the only cultures in the history of the world where the word old is an insult. In fact, some of you that have come from other cultures, I've talked to you about this. One of the biggest challenges in bringing your family to the United States was the fact that the older culture isn't respected. And you came out of a culture where that was just what everyone did. Of course the older people were respected. They had lived life. They had something to share. And you came to the United States and all of a sudden the younger people determined everything and the older people were not respected by the younger people and that was just okay. That should not be okay in the church. And what can happen in the church is is younger people will run off and find their own place to be but what they lose is they lose all that impact and wisdom of an older generation that's ready to pour into them. And so the older generation has to be willing to pour out out themselves, but the younger generation better be in a place to receive it and take it in and to say, okay, you've lived longer than me. You've known God longer than me. You have experiences I don't have. Share with me what I need to know. And we need to stop looking at that word old as some sort of insult and stop looking at it with some sort of respect, especially in all culture, but especially here in the life of the church if we are to pass on the faith well. Now you're saying to me, listen, pastor, I'm not young anymore, but listen, I'm definitely not old, okay? So what do you want me to do? I think Paul would say to us this morning, based on everything I've, I, I, I know about what Paul's written, I think Paul would say to us, listen, you want to have a healthy church and you're not young anymore, but you're not, you don't want to call yourself older, that's fine. Do both. Do both. Make sure someone is pouring into you and you keep pouring out to those people behind you. It used to be in this culture, in our country, in the way that we lived, that if you needed to know something, you would go to the expert in your community. So let's say, let's say that you were doing a housing project and you wanted to hang hang a new light on the back of your house. Well, you would go to the local hardware store 
And there would be the local hardware guy who knew everything about everything, probably had some sort of apron on, and he was a, he was a nice gentleman, and you would walk in, and he would say, hey, what's the project today? And you would say to him, well, hey, we're trying to hang a, a light on the back of our house. And you wouldn't walk up and down a ton of aisles. He would say, wait right there. And he would go in some back room behind a counter, and he would come back with his arms full of stuff. And he would lay them out on the counter and he would say, okay, here's what you need. Do you have brick on your house or wood? And you'd say, well, we have brick on the back of our house. He'd say, okay, here's a masonry bit that you need. What you're going to do is you're going to drill through the brick with this masonry bit. Here's the conduit that you're going to run through that brick. Here's the screws that you should use because you're outdoors and you're, and you're working in masonry materials. Here's the screws you should use. And make sure you don't hang that light too close to the soffit. Make sure you don't hang it too close to the door. Here's how you should map out where you want to hang it. And he would pass on that knowledge one person to another to the other person that person would receive it and they would go home and do the work now you have a home project to do what do you do you walk into some 60,000 square foot building with 30 foot ceilings and you start wandering around aimlessly not sure exactly what you want or need and chances are unless you're really lucky you're not going to find anyone that knows either And so you're wandering around and maybe someone can point you to screws that you might want to hang out outdoors, but they take you over to the lighting section and it determines which one of the 4,000 lights you choose to hang, which screws you need. And the whole thing is just totally overwhelming. There's no longer that passing of information. So either you try it yourself and make 15 mistakes and keep going back, or you just end up hiring someone that knows what they're doing because there's no way to get that information. You're watching YouTube videos. You're trying to figure it out. But we, what we've lost is that personal interaction of someone who knows what they're talking about and having been there, passing it down to someone else. It hasn't just happened in home improvement. It's happened anywhere we have our big box stores. The grocery store has changed. The bookstore has changed. And the church has changed. It used to be we were willing to do this in the church. Pass on the faith. Receive it. Teach the class. Teach the lesson. Serve the people. But now in the church at large, especially... What we do is we said, okay, we got to pass on the faith. Here's what we should do. We should come up with some sort of program. So we have the preschoolers. We have the kindergartners. We have the second graders through fifth graders. We have uh, the, the youth. We have the young adults. We have this, the senior adults and everybody in between. And now here's what we're going to do. We're going to find some volunteers uh, that have about three minutes extra time during the week to prepare a Bible lesson. And we're going to have them take care of all the kids. And then we're going to hire some 22-year-old out of Bible college uh, who doesn't know anything about anything. And he's going to fix all all our young people. And then we're going to, to have all these other volunteers uh, and they're going to run all these other programs. And there you go. We, we fixed it. We have all the classes for all the people. So the faith ought to be passed down. And I'll just tell you, it really hasn't worked that well. I think Paul would look at us and say, why are you trying to systematize this thing? There's nothing, don't get me wrong. There's value in all the classes. But what we cannot lose is the organic process of people being the body of Christ. The value of the community of God coming together and us passing on what we understand about God to a younger generation and having the younger generation receive it. Us living lives that are worthy of being watched and followed. 
Not just walking into the building, say, what can I get out of this? But walking in and saying, we are the community of God. We are the body of Christ living out this thing together. Let's encourage one another. Let's, let's, let's hold up each other. Let's bear each other's burdens. Let's take care of one another's children. And let's do this thing the way God calls us to do it. That is an organic process where we walk into the church and we act our age. And if we're older, we set the example and set the model and are willing to pour into those who are younger. And if we're younger, we come in and we receive it and grow. I'm going to invite our worship team to come forward as we close this morning. And just to ask you if you would, you know, there's a couple different ways we can respond to this message this morning. And one of those is I would ask you to think about these questions. The first question I would ask you to think about is if you're somebody who's followed God for a while, who are you pouring into? Who are you mentoring? And it doesn't have to be some systemized thing where every Tuesday morning at 7 o'clock you're getting together, although that's not bad. But when you walk into the church and the body of Christ... Who's the person that you're pouring into? Who's willing, I'll get real specific, who's willing to step into the fireplace room where all the kids are on their iPads and tablets and talk? And say, we love you, we're glad you're here. If you've walked with God for a while, who are you pouring into? And if you're on the younger side of things, who are you allowing to pour into you? Someone's pouring into you. Someone is teaching you things. Someone's pouring into your life. Who in this church, who in the body of Christ are you letting yourself be influenced by? Be receptive to it. God has surrounded you with a lot of good people can help you along the way they've already asked the big questions God's taught them a lot of things they've walked through some difficult things so have those conversations in just a moment our worship team is going to play and my wife Lori and I and and our elder Bill and his wife Karen are going to be in the back of the church if you're here this morning and you want someone to pray with you about anything we are back there to pray with you But if you're thinking about this message and you're thinking very specifically about what God is calling you to, I'd ask you just to take a moment at the end of the service, you know, we pass our buckets and we collect these cards right on the card here, on this connection card, on the bottom of that communication card, it says, listen, based on today's message, I feel like I need someone to mentor me or I feel like I would like to serve as a mentor. Maybe that's you this morning. You would say, listen, I'm in a place I know I need someone to pour into me. And I don't know who it is, and I don't know how God's going to do it, but I'm in that place. I'd love to be praying for you about that. And maybe you're in the place this morning where you're saying, man, I would love to pour someone, pour into somebody. If I just knew who it was, I would pour into that person. I would love for you to check that box and throw this in a bucket in a minute so that I can be praying for you. But as we sing this, this final song together, let's come before the Lord and let's pray. And let's respond to the word that he's given us. 
Who are you pouring into? Who are you allowing to pour into you? Are you willing to come into this place and act your age? Let's pray together. God, help us to be the community that you call us to be. To be the kind of people that are not only willing to give of ourselves to others, but are also willing to receive. God, forgive us for the times that we have not passed on the faith or your truth well. Help us to do this. As the body of Christ to live the lives you're calling us to live. Not under our own strength, not under our own power, but by your spirit. Through the grace that we've received in Jesus Christ. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd invite you to stand as we sing together. And as we do, we'll respond to this message. Hey, thanks again for listening to this sermon from the Belmont campus of Mount Hope. If you live in the Belmont area, we'd love to have you join us each Sunday at 10 a.m. Or if you'd like to know more about Mount Hope Christian Center with campuses in Burlington and Belmont, Massachusetts, you can visit our website at www.mounthope.org.